Hi there, my name is Mary Kilolea. Welcome to the To Be Boulder podcast, providing career insights for the next generation of women in business and tech. To Be Boulder was created out of my love for technology and marketing, my desire to bring together like-minded women, and my hope to be a great role model and source of inspiration for my two girls and other young women like you. Encouraging you guys to show up and to be bolder and to know that anything you guys dream of, it's totally possible. On To Be Bolder, you're going to hear inspiring stories of how successful women, some I know, some I just want to bring to you guys, and they're going to talk about their careers in business and tech, and they're going to tell us their stories about their passion and their journey and their challenges, and we're going to learn some of their advice along the way too. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Today's going to be a great show. I had the pleasure of meeting my guest a few months ago through a mutual friend. Dina Gazarian is managing partner at Target Path and founder of Austere, which is a unique technology accessory brand. She is a dynamic global sales executive with a 20-year record of achievement and demonstrated success, driving multi-million dollar sales growth while providing award-winning sales leadership. She is an expert in global consumer electronic sales and channel marketing. She's tenacious in building new businesses and powerful partnerships. And if that wasn't enough, she's an executive board member of the Consumer Technology Association, which produces the annual huge consumer electronics show called CES. Dina, it is so great to have you here today. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Mary. I'm happy to be here. All right, let's just dive in. So you have a full plate being both the managing partner at Target Path and the founder and CEO of Astir. Can you tell everyone a little bit about each company and how you are involved with each of them? Absolutely. So five years ago, I left working for a manufacturer that I had been uh, at for about 15 years. And um, really with all of my background and experience, and I've been very fortunate to be in some very different situations for business, which has made me very well-rounded. And so with that, uh, myself and uh, two other gentlemen decided to kind of kick off a consulting firm business called Target Path. And so I and the two others are managing partners in a business. And much like my background, what Target Path does is we will take brands who've created an awesome product, but they're not quite sure what's the right path and where to go next with their product in order for it to be successful in the marketplace. So we sit down, we review the antithesis of the product, where it came from, what's the point, who are we trying to solve a problem for, et cetera. From there, we put together an entire strategic plan on how they can execute in retail for the best success. And then we also are very conscientious in regards to their financial situation and how do you best leverage every dollar that you're getting. So Target Path has a team of about 35 people behind us that are awesome executors in the field. And so what we do is we actually leverage them in a fractional manner to be able to support these different brands as businesses. So we take one of our team member who has maybe 10, 20 years of experience. We put them into a situation. They know exactly what to do and how to take the ball of that brand of whatever it is in the action that they're doing. So finance, operations, channel marketing, uh, you know, Marcom, you name it. And they go running with it. And because they get up to speed so much faster than a regular employee, we build out the process, we build out the procedure. And from there, um, once we kind of get that execution going, we actually help hire the people that will replace our team at Target Path so the brand continue to grow. So it's actually a very neat process that takes about, in most cases, if we do it right, we're there for about a year and a half to two years of really taking somebody from hey, I have this product, what do I do next? All the way through to, hey, now we have you in the field and you're executing, let's put your team in place and go. That sounds amazing. They're probably like your children. you like, you know, after a year and they a half, are. you let them go and then you just watch them That's grow right. and succeed. That's right, exactly. And so uh, what's interesting about that model for Target Path and the reason why I explained it in so much detail is when we actually had the opportunity of quite a few retailers coming to us and asking us to create this home theater accessories brand called Austere. We knew that in order to get Austere up and running quickly, fast, with profitability in it, and really kind of turning a profit in less than a year, we knew that if we use the target path model, we would be able to do it and do it well. So we have leveraged in the beginning of Austere different pieces of target path to get the business up and running. 
And in turn, every opportunity we have now to hire a full-time person because the business is warranting it or it's time for that role to be a full-time role, then boom, we switch the target path person out and bring a full-time person in. And then it just, the business justifies whether that can happen or not. And it's making us very successful and doing it where we literally, as I like to say, we get every last squeeze of that scent from that dollar that we're spending on the business, which in most cases, startups are not as efficient. And so this really gives them the, the ability to have an efficient startup to do it quick and fast and run the model. So that's kind of how a steer came to be um, through the efforts of Target Path. That's exciting. And I, I follow you uh, a steer online and it's beautiful product line. Thank you. What we, what we did with Austere is, we were so fortunate. We had a lot of retailers and distributors globally who came to us and said, we really need you to be in this space. We need you to help train and teach the individuals on the sales floor, be able to interact with the consumer in a way where the consumer is educated and not threatened and not saying here, you need to buy this, you need to buy this, but there was no reason why placed into the actual conversation. So um, that was the piece of how we kind of got into the conversation. But once we did, I said, well, I want to do it my way in the sense that most of the brands out there, most of it is off a shelf, plastic. Um, There's really not a lot of thought to the design behind the technology. And so what we did is we found the best technology we could bring to the table for every product and in turn put design with it to give it the most unbelievable look, but the best functionality you could get. And combining those two things has really elevated Austere to the next level to give you more than you could possibly expect from the brand. Hence our tagline, more than expected. (laughs) So it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. So walk us through your career path and tell us how you got started in the business. And, you know, I know you talked a little bit about how you guys uh, started up with Target Path, but kind of catch us up to today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I uh, was getting ready to graduate. I'll even go back to graduate, you know, to graduate from college, was literally going to go to law school. That is where Mm -hmm. I uh, had my focus. And my father, who was a lifelong entrepreneur, literally sat me down and said, can can you do me a favor? Can you just work? Like you've literally come out of school. All you've done is, you know, study, kind of get through this. Why don't you take a breath and just work and do something to learn more about the business? And so my dad never really gave much direction. He always kind of let us succeed on our own. So the fact that he kind of slowed me down and said, hey, I really think you should think about this. It was kind of one of those conversations where like, wow, maybe I should listen. So it was great. My law school gave me the ability to defer And so I said, great, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to do what it is that I want that would kind of excite me um, and really would have a lot of passion around. So I was very much a fashion type of person. It's what uh, my little secret love is. So I had this awesome opportunity, met with the recruiter from what was Bullock's department stores, which was eventually acquired by Macy's and Insurance Federated. And uh, he sat me down and said, listen, you're a 21 year old kid out of school. I can guarantee you're going to manage anywhere between a 15 million and $20 million business in your first year here. I guarantee you're not going to get that anywhere else. And if you want to go back into school after that, or the, you know, want to move on to your next job, that's really something that a 21 year old doesn't get afforded. And so it was kind of like, wow, that's meaningful. And I agree. And plus I will get an awesome discount and get to build my wardrobe. <laughs> I'm in. Right. So, I love it. Started in the stores, which was probably the best thing that could have happened to me. He put me with a legend in the business on the fashion side of things. You know, the first female buyer ever in the Orient, the first female store manager ever in the state of California. Um, And she was my mentor. And for seven years, didn't leave. I absolutely loved it, by the way. Loved being on the floor. Loved interacting with the customer. Loved visually being able to give them an experience that would, would excite somebody to buy And then what was, I guess, ironic about the situation is I was always an accessory. So literally from day one, I was always kind of the attachment to something. I was never the lead, which is very true in the thread about everything I've done uh, so far with me in my business career. So I was there for about seven years, Uh, met my husband there. And one of the things we quickly learned was working for the same company was probably not the best move on our part. Uh, he had more seniority than I did by a couple years. So I said, great. We had moved to the Bay Area for him in a promotion. It was during the boom of dot-coms. And I said, well, I'll just go get a dot-com job and I'll probably give us lots of shares and then we'll hit it rich like everybody else was doing. <laughs> and then, you know, we'll never have to work again. Yay! <laughs> so 
<laughs> so we went, so I found myself a, a dot-com job. It happened to be consumer electronics hardware product called Replay TV. And um, most people probably don't know Replay, but if I mention TiVo and the whole mm. concept of a digital video recorder, uh, that is when that business was getting started. And that's exactly what I walked into. Uh, the gentleman who actually is the CEO of Roku, uh, Anthony Wood, was the CEO of Replay. So I got to meet a lot of legends instantly right in the business. And uh, for one year, we had an awesome time. It was, when, it was during that dot-com when it was super exciting. And sure enough, in less than a year, we ran through all of our money. They let everybody go. They sold off, sold off all the assets. And I don't know, at like 26 years old, seven years old, I was out of a job. Never had been in that situation. That was a little freaky. So what had been great is in my role at Replay, I was an account manager. I had a lot of great relationships with a lot of buyers all over the United States. And they said, there's this other company in the Bay Area you should go talk to. Um, you, you probably would be a good fit there. And it was Monster. And Monster was an a accessories cable company. Well, it's what it root, its roots were. And so went over there, ended up um, starting to work there. And sure enough, for about 15 years um, was there uh, at the company. Went through their uh, very entrepreneurial in its thought process and every single category, there was a category after category we would create. Sometimes that category would be wildly successful and sometimes that category would die on the vine. But it was an unbelievable training ground uh, to be able to go through and really learn what it is to make something take off. Sometimes the technology was some of the coolest thing you've ever seen or done yet the timing wasn't right. So like I remember uh, when we first started talking about a tile-like product, which is that little square chip you can put into your bag and you know where it is because mm -hmm. you can put it on your keys, put it on your bag. Mm -hmm. So we probably were talking about that concept maybe two and a half years before it ever launched. Nobody wanted it at the time. Though we had unbelievable training and focus, we really couldn't get a lot of people to bite. Fast forward three years, you know, boom, you have a business that's a $25 million business mm -hmm. like within a couple years. And it wasn't because the technology wasn't right. It was just the timing for where, where it made sense for the consumer and the consumer's need. So those learnings really just put me in such an unbelievable spot that when I left Monster and we went to go kind of re-kick target path into gear, those learnings, and we say it all the time, we're just really good. And over the years, we've made a ton of mistakes. So we really point you in the direction of not making the same mistakes that traditional companies continue to make without some direction. Oh, absolutely. So. Your story there, it, it's just the foundation of what Target Path offers. That's amazing. Right. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. We, we tease. Scars on the back. We don't want you to have scars. We have plenty of scars. <laughs> Let us help you. You don't do that to yourself. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So uh, today the Consumer Technology Association is North America's leading tech trade association and owner and producer of CES. It's the world's largest, most influential tech event of you know the year. Um, yes. You're an executive board member. What? Correct. Congratulations, by the way. I think that's amazing. Thank you. Um, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of work, and it's and it's, but it's a fantastic organization. Well, I'd love to hear about your role and responsibilities and how this opportunity came about. Yeah, so the Consumer Technology Association is uh, a group that is so focused on its members and helping its members succeed. Not only in, yes, it puts on CES, largest trade show in the world, that actually gives you the ability to expose yourself and your product to, I don't know, on average 180,000 people who attend that show. Um, but more importantly, even behind the scenes, they have one of the most unbelievable mentoring programs mm -hmm. where they put someone who's more senior with a potential startup to give them some direction uh, as part of that membership. It gives you the ability to get involved in your different category and draft, I would say, policy and procedure or put together the drafts for policy and procedure that ends up going in front of government and get sometimes accepted into everyday life. So, for example, they do a forum every year for policy and procedure. Last forum, if I remember correctly, they were to help setting up what is the, the drone policy and procedure look like? What is the privacy with the state of California putting down their rules on how we were going to become so much more um, diligent in, re in regards to privacy? How do we set up a standard so the rest of the tech world can follow it and meet the needs not only for the business, but for government? With Austere itself, I was very much entangled in this whole trade war 
by my side the entire way, supportive of me, helping me, teaching me things that I would have never known to be able to put my goods on a list to try to work with the government so I could have an exception. Just all of those things where this organization rallies around their members and taking care of them. So with being a member on the executive board, it is our, I think, our duty and goal to continue to work with CTA to to create new programs and to create new focuses to make sure that all of those members are a part of it are really being taken care of and helping their business advance to the next level. Uh, So that's one piece of it that I would say is pretty spectacular. Uh, The other piece that I think is very unique about CTA is they will put you in touch with your congressman. They, I have sat in my house of representatives um, office fighting for the causes that are right for my business. Um, though they are great, there's a, some exceptional lobbyists that are part of the CTA group who obviously are on the Hill every day driving those messages for us. They know how important it is to put you as the business owner in front of your representative to talk about what's important and to move the needle in the right way. So some of those things that they, they have done single-handedly for the business has just been unbelievable. Um, and so the executive board helps give that direction, continues that focus and moving forward. And it's really a humbling but honoring uh, position to be in in our industry. I was lucky. I, I Somebody introduced me to the CTA group. I got involved. Um, it's all volunteer. But I, I, it felt right. And through that and through my efforts, um, slowly but surely, I've been moving from to have individual councils, um, to I was on the board of industry leaders for a while. And then just this last year, they asked me to be an executive board member. That's amazing. I had no idea that they offered those levels of support to businesses and, and critical ones, you know, that can save yeah. yourself so much time and trial and error. And, you know, especially when it comes to the government and, oh, I can't even imagine not, not knowing what you don't know and trying to tackle Correct. those things. Correct. I think the other special thing about them too is, um, you know, here, here's a group of people that I would say is, is always on the cutting edge of trying to be different and trying to move the ball forward in ways that most businesses are not. Um, so I'll give you a good example. The committee, um, the, the board decided to take some of the funds and put together a $10 million fund that actually supports uh, diverse and inclusive type of LPs that put money towards companies that have that type of diversity uh, leadership in in the roles of these you know executives. So we got to interview I don't know about 60, 70 funds over the last year, and so far have placed about five million dollars of that 10 million with these funds who are driving that focus. If you do the homework and the research, about two percent of the funding money out there, if we're lucky, goes to um, different companies that that diversity or inclusivity is literally the priority for that company. So the fact that it's so small and the fact that CTA is making movement forward to be able to kind of change that narrative, it's pretty impressive from a group. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, you. So your resume obviously is quite impressive. And I think it's also essential to highlight you have received awards over the years for volunteering and, you know, even yeah. learning that the CTA Association is volunteer, but also for your pioneering efforts in consumer electronics industry. Talk about the value that you gain from volunteering and your involvement in the industry organizations, because, you know, a lot of people come up with excuses like, God, you know, I'm exhausted. I have so much to do. How could I ever volunteer? You know, I can't even go to this networking thing. Help the, the audience understand the values and the priority one should have in taking the time to volunteer, to get involved uh, uh, with key organizations that are meaningful to them that also align to their career. Yeah. Oh, there's so many points to this one. I would say (laughs) selfishly first, the reason why it is so important to me is I was very lucky. I had Mm. some of the most unbelievable people who were mentors to me who volunteered their time to make sure that I went down the right path, that I'm such a big believer in if somebody afforded you that opportunity, it is just as much your responsibility to do the same. So that's kind of number one. And just the the value that I get out of it and how it makes me feel is, is worth everything. So, but that's my selfish reason for doing it. Why I think it is critical 
um, especially in an industry that tends to be very male dominated, is that sometimes if you are in a position where you are fortunate to be able to grow and are given the opportunity to do well and become somebody that others look at, for you to be able to break that down and say, here's exactly what I did. It wasn't really even that complicated, but Mm -hmm. this was my focus. Here's where I went. I found my passion. From there, I surrounded myself with other people with the same passion. And together, we kind of created our our own little village to build it and to do it. You know, you lose nothing in that scenario. If anything, you bring smarter, more different thoughts to the table that I think are very critical in in a business that is changing. So consumer electronics, which was traditional hardware, has shifted into consumer tech. I think the, you know, the, if you look at the demographic of who is purchasing consumer mm-hmm. tech, it actually scales more towards women than it does mm. to men. And so if you don't have women at the table with the thought process to be able to address their customer and the needs of the customer, mm-hmm. you're really not going to get the full scope of what could happen to the economy by providing that. So in, in giving back and really kind of opening opening up to say, much like even what we do at TargetPath, here's the mistakes that I made. If I could do things differently, here's what I would do differently. You know, learn from me, take advantage of that. Long term, it gives back to the overall business. And when I say business, I don't mean my personal business or their personal business, to the industry. Right. And the more that the industry moves forward and the more that the industry is successful, I think we as a consumer benefit. So I know it's a tiny little part to make that whole massive wheel move forward, but I truly do believe that is what happens. And so the more of us that do that, the faster the wheel goes, the faster technology moves forward to the betterment of our lives and ourselves and our families. And that's where it just comes down to, I, I don't know how you couldn't. Right. It's weird to me. That's, that's two. Three, mm-hmm. networking is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Some of the best opportunities I've had have come from these different interactions where it was strictly done, you know, authentically, and from that, somebody, you know, became, became more than just, I think, a, an introduction. Uh, they went from an acquaintance to a friend. And I've, I've had people take such good care of me because of the fact that, hey, you know, you did this for me. Let, me. let me introduce you to this person. Or, hey, knowing more about you, let me put you in this situation. And those circles, no matter how hard you work and how hard you fight to kind of get more out of it, you will never be put into that situation if you're not in that situation where you're networking right. and, and moving that forward. And those are those, some of those situations, to your point, it was never part of my job. It was never something that, you know, it was in addition, but I just got so much out of it and found that it really put me in a different level for my career. That's great. Yeah. I, I and networking is one of the most um, essential thing that I think women tend to sometimes not be as proactive because they're, you know, after work, they're involved with the responsibilities of the kids in the home or Correct. just trying to keep up with, you know, the current workload. So uh, that is one thing that I try to emphasize in these podcasts is the value and benefits that you can get from networking. So for our listeners out there that may not be sure if they want to get involved in business to consumer or to business to business space, what advice would you give them? Like in the fact that they want to get involved and kind of what are your first steps? Yeah. I mean, so you primarily been in business to consumer and I think business to business is a little harder of a sell. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. I think it depends. So business, uh, so I actually think that I, I think it might be the opposite. I think business to consumer is harder because if you don't understand what the customer wants mm-hmm. and that end user, who's by the way, putting money down on the table to be able to purchase your product or your service, you literally are going to be in a situation where you won't get traction. And without that traction, you don't survive. In a business-to-business environment, because it is still kind of business-oriented, you get to interact with other people who are much more sympathetic to the fact that you are driving a business because you're working with other business holders. So um, I actually think it's the opposite. But either way, Mm -hmm. right, you have to know what is it that you're trying to solve. So in a business-consumer environment, business-to-consumer environment, or a business-to-business environment, you have to know whatever it is the person that you're interacting with literally would want and in turn can you create something that gives them the ability to make their life better Mm -hmm. by interacting with it or by purchasing it 
if that's if you can get that part done first and really understand and put yourself in the shoes of that end user right then i think you have good movement to figure out well what are the next steps and what are the next steps right Right. Well, that, that's a wonderful perspective, and I appreciate you sharing um, your view and, and something that I can always learn from. So as a woman, obviously, we were trying to have this show to expose women in technology, women in business. Is there more room or opportunities in the B2B space for women or B2C space? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yes. It goes much back to the, the concept that I was talking about earlier. If, uh, if you're creating a product, um, the, not only is the person who's right now with the purchasing power a female in some cases, it always is the consumer case. Even in a perfect world, if it was 50-50, 50% of that you know, consumer is male and 50% of that consumer is female. You need to have that somewhat same balance at the table who's talking about how do I speak to that person? What is it that we're creating for them? What is it that they're going to need to see? How can we add more value in order to stay relevant versus just being kind of like a one product hit? How do, how do you move those things forward? Those balances are critical. And if you don't have that thought process at the table, it makes it very hard. So I would say I am seeing more and more. It's very encouraging to me. I'm seeing more and more companies bring that diversity and inclusiveness to the table. And the ones that do tend to have the companies that actually go faster. And what I mean by that is they tend to be more successful faster. They tend to be much more innovative in where it's headed and where it's going because it's a good balance. You know, I know everyone's like, you know, yay women. But uh, here's my thing. If we flip it all the way towards the other side of the pendulum, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to actually be successful either. Right. It's really this balance and bringing that balance to the table that's really critical to me. I completely agree. In studies that I've read, the value of bringing women uh, to their voice, their opinions, understanding the customers, understanding product development, it, it's essential because it's just an added value that a lot of businesses haven't had because they've had a narrow perspective. And I feel bad for sometimes for the businesses. I don't know if it's necessarily been by choice. Some of the time there hasn't been the educated field in the, you know, in the, in that business to be able to take advantage of that. You know what I mean? So sometimes it's not even during like the business situation. It's even going back further to colleges, you know, Mm -hmm. universities, high schools, elementary schools. What are we exposing ourselves to? And from that, do you feel comfortable to be able to give it a shot? Tech's not easy. You have to know your stuff. I show up into a room and I talk the talk, and I think people look at me sometimes still like, wow, how do you even know that? <laughs> and it's like, because um, it's my job, right? <laughs> but it's just, it's sometimes it's that perception, and you just kind of have to, you know, work through it and know your stuff, and that's some of the respect you get, too, uh, in the business, for sure. So, so you touched on college there just for a sec. So the cost of higher education has grown so much over the years, and, and when you're looking at hiring someone out of college or someone for a mid-level role, what kind of things matter to you? Do specific schools matter, like where they studied? Does it matter if they have a master's degree? No, not at all. Um, I think there's a couple things you learn in school. I'm a big believer in this because I I feel like this is what happened to me. Uh, I tease all the time. I went through high school and I was the best regurgitation type of person for statistics and facts you could be. And then I got to college and I actually had to learn how to think. And the minute I got to learn how to think, I think it changed my perspective on everything that I did that made me successful. Now, whether or not that is done at a higher, you know, higher ranked college or university, um, I, I don't, you know, to me, it's where if you go to school and you engage what higher learning is supposed to bring for you to the table, you will actually have that thought process of learning how to think to kind of start off a career. Mm-hmm. So um, I am a big believer of that. I also think Interestingly enough, and, and at CTA, we're doing a much major, uh, very, well, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a major push around, there are so many jobs out there right now that we can't even fulfill that are really based on what I would call um, simple execution type of roles. Uh, let me give you a good example. We have integrators where there are thousands of jobs out there. I have a gentleman who just became the president of a company. He is looking to put together a huge integrator uh, base where they will literally can go into your home, help you set up any type of you know electronic situation that you need, mm. and do it in a way where it's very easy to get that person you know to figure out who's the good match, come to your home when you need them, et cetera. He can't even fill all the jobs because nobody's out there teaching that vocational type of skill 
um, to somebody. And by the way, we've not done a good job in, I think, America saying that that's okay. That's an okay job. I think we have gone such the opposite end of go to university, go to college, get a degree, right? That everybody's like, okay, I've done that. And now you really look (laughs) at what's going on. And and, and all these kids who've spent money that they may not ever get out of debt I know. are like, great, I'm here. I follow direction. Now look where I am. Now what do I do? Totally agree. And I have one daughter in college and then one sophomore in high school. So, I mean, this is very on my mind. Like what is the value and what school classes should they be taking to really prepare themselves, you know, and not every kid is meant for, you know, higher ed. Maybe it's a trade school. So yeah, I think, I think we really need to take a look, but I mean, again, that's kind of a whole different conversation, but it's important. I think the message that I would like to have people take away from this is, is it, it comes down to not just the, you having a master's, like if you don't have a master's, don't think it eliminates you from opportunities. If you didn't graduate from a particular college, don't think that that uh, inhibits you from going after a career path because it's more about, I think, guts and determination and, you know, life skills and solution skills that help drive someone's success. 100%. I don't have a master's, yeah. right? Like I went to school, I got my, uh, you know, Bachelor of Arts and boom, started working. And I, though I am very grateful, the school I went to, and I say it all the time, they taught, truly taught me how to think, which I think mm-hmm. has changed completely my perspective. Um, I could have gotten that. I, I believe I could have gotten that anywhere um, that I decided to go and get a higher education. But that also doesn't mean there, you know, just because I got an at higher education doesn't mean today, like I would even have the ability to get a job out of school, no matter what I learned. Where again, if you look at it from a vocational standpoint right now, there's not enough people going through that vocational training to fulfill all the jobs that are needed, which is insane to me right now. Like, so how do you restructure to be able to set that up for somebody so they can work right away? They can get those, that on-hand experience. Maybe they even then go back to school after that. Like I say, I wish someone had taught me or it would have been acceptable to work um, before going to school. I think I would have even gotten more out of it because I would have been able to say, oh, I've had this personal experience. You're teaching me this concept, but I've lived it. Right. And I think once you do that, the way that you attach and learn is just, uh, it's 10 times greater than if you're just reading it out of a textbook. Definitely agree. And I, I love the, the, the comment that you made about your dad actually encouraging you to slow down and, and get some right. work experience. I think that is a tremendous gift that he gave you. Yes, I would agree with you. Okay, so you've touched on the mentors that you've had in your life. So for some of our listeners that are just wanting and hungry for mentors, but not sure of how to go about getting them, what advice would you give someone? So if we want to go back to that networking situation we Mm -hmm. were talking about earlier and why that's so critical, I would say half of the people that I've ever been a mentor mentee with Mm -hmm. have come from those networking situations, 100%. The other half has probably been for people that I've worked for um, that though they may have been my boss or my boss's boss, they still, our relationship was very mentor-mentee related than it was, you know, you work for me. Um, because again, I was constantly asking questions. I was constantly, right. how would you do this? How did you come across this situation? Like just wanted to be that sponge to observe or absorb everything that they have lived through. And I think every time I put myself in that situation and mind space for the focus on teach me more, teach me more, right. their relationship with me changed too. Mm-hmm. where they were much more open and much more willing to kind of have that mentor conversation versus you work for me, do your job. Totally makes sense. I mean, I think some people actually are flattered that, okay, here's someone that really cares about growing and learning and is inquisitive and it makes them stop and appreciate the knowledge. You know, the, the best way to learn is be a teacher. And so I'm sure it, it adds value to them as well. I, I completely agree. I want to help somebody more. The more questions I get asked, the more mm-hmm. I want to help you. Right. It's, it's amazing how that works. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to working, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? If you can. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, there's, there's a couple. 
I would say the one that I think sits with me the most that I learned relatively quickly in my career is hire people smarter, mm. better. Um, you know, you need to surround yourself with people who are outstanding and are not necessarily you or your skill set, mm -hmm. right? So the the more you do that, the more successful you be. I, I, I can be. So one of the coolest things, um, books and or things that we um, kind of learned and did over the years is there's this book. It's a little old school now, but it's called Now Discover Your Strengths. And you know, you take a little test and it shows you what your top five strengths are, which is great. But from there, really the the crux of that whole philosophy is great. Now you know your five strengths and how to work with them and you can learn about other strengths and learn how to work with them. But the best teams in the world take those strengths, which is they're about 33 to 35 of them. And you build a team where the strengths live in every individual. So you find like, you know, different people to cover those different strengths. And so when you have your team, every one of those strengths that's mm -hmm. best for business is covered by somebody and what they love to do and what they're passionate about. You know, the minute you hire a bunch of people like yourself is the minute that you're probably going to fail because you all will support each other based on that philosophy and won't think about things from the other side of the fence. You won't put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You won't think outside of the box because it's not built necessarily into your, you know, strength. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Um, that's, that's probably one of the biggest um, that I've ever gotten. I would say the other one, too, is the whole concept of servant leadership um, versus being a leader. I, I was kind of put into a leadership role very, very quickly when I went to go work uh, in fashion where I was a 21 year old managing like the first job I ever had was in China and crystal. And so everybody who was on the sales floor was all over 50 and I was 21. And so who's this 21 year old punk kid going to tell me what to do. And so it very much taught me how to do more of this. Well, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Let's figure it out together. How can I help you overcome what it is you already know how to do well? How can I get those roadblocks out of the way and that whole kind of servant leadership mentality? Um, and I, I still keep that today. I learn more when I do that too. I think I get more about what's going on with the business so I can make the right decisions for the business. Just because the people, again, if you hire and you hire smart ones around you, they know what to do. Mm -hmm. You're just there to help them remove roadblocks and go as fast as possible. That's great. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you've faced in the, in your career? I would say the hardest one for me is that um, I had always wanted a family. It was never an option not to have a family. And as my career was continuing to grow and I was continuing to, you know, move higher up, I guess, on the ladder, we very much struggled to have kids uh, to the point that I actually had to remove myself from monster for about a year and a half and not travel like a crazy person, stay local and really focus on, you know, starting a family. And what was scary to me was, Oh my God, like what's going to happen to my career if I do that? Is it just going to stop? Is it going to go? Am I going to fall off the radar where I'm not going to be important? Like what I've been building for so long. And, you know, you, you build in your mind, like the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. and ironically what I did ended up being one of the, not only did we start a family which was the number one goal um, but more importantly I put myself in a different situation where I learned from others where I met other people that again was probably one of the best decisions I made for my career um, but it was out of you know I, I would have never bet money on the fact that that would have been a good thing I was deathly afraid um, that it was going to ruin everything and so um, Sometimes you just have to kind of go do it and you will always figure it out. And I think, unfortunately, humans are very good at psyching themselves out on why it's a horrible thing to do, <laughs> you know, to, to, and so I think out of everything in my career, and I, I would say most things have been very fortunate in that good, bad, or indifferent, my career has been pretty steady. To me, that was the scariest thing and biggest challenge we've ever faced. I mean, it was literally my husband's like, if you can't change what your focus is, it's either me or your job mm -hmm. type of thing, right? Like I, we talked about it. We want to have a family. If you're that afraid that it's going to ruin your career, then you're not in the right space type of thing to have children and to be in our relationship. And it was tough. I really had to look and be like, okay, what is it that I really want? That is a, a real fear that many women face. And I think today we're doing a better job of, of, talking about it or even 
seeing and recognizing other women like yourself who had that fear and still has gone on to not only raise a beautiful family, but come back and have a very successful career. So you're modeling what in the past maybe didn't exist. So it's wonderful to share these stories to give other people, you know, examples as well as inspiration, as well as, you know, the uh, permission to have those fears. Yes, I would agree. Um, But I also think too, that if you, again, surround yourself with the right people, Mm -hmm. surround yourself in the right environment, you will always long-term be okay. Yeah. But sometimes when you're in it, it's very, very hard to see that. So what are some essential qualities that you look for when you're hiring someone? So I know they're role specific qualifications, but if you had core qualities in a person, what would those be? You can always teach somebody to do a certain job. Mm -hmm. It's the personality. It is the um, kind of like the spirit, the passion, the um, excitement. When you're talking to somebody, you can tell whether they are a positive person or not. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I, so to me, it's like you interview somebody, do they seem like they are good people? Um, on top of the good people, are they positive? Is the glass kind of, you know, always half full in the sense that sure, there's challenges sometimes, but you can always solve your problem. You can always focus on getting to the next level. If you, if you can find somebody with the right attitude, again, you can teach anybody how to do a job type of thing. Yep. Totally. Agree. So I, I, yeah. Um, so Tech is moving so fast and and pre- prevalent in every industry, really. I mean, I can't think of any one industry, really, it doesn't touch. And, you know, with AI coming on the board, what Correct. tech skills are essential for someone to have? I mean, again, I well, know there's it, some, you know, specifics related to the roles, but overall related to tech, okay, what's so, someone's attitude, what's someone's skills? Well, so here's what's so funny, right? You would have thought tech, coding, if I want to be, a, you know, in this business, I need to be an engineer trained person who knows how to code, right? Mm-hmm, right. And that's been, a, I think, a very strong statement for the last 10, 15 years. I literally met with somebody last week that there's now new technology where you don't even need hmm. to know how to code and you can still build a software platform, as an example. Mm-hmm. That's how fast it's changing. Um, so again, you're like, well, to be in tech, what is it, you know, what is it that you need? What does that look like? I, I, I think it's really more about, again, how are you solving somebody's problem? Mm-hmm. What is it that the you know, consumer needs or what is it that a different business needs in order to be able to move themselves forward and be in a good situation? And then leveraging tech to help with that. So as a good example, we'll go back to CES and, and use that. CES beca- has become the largest platform right now for brands that you would never guess, right? So Delta was the keynote at CES. Mm-hmm. In that keynote, the CEO talked about what they are doing with technology in order to make the consumer's experience better and why is it that you want to be loyal to Delta over mm-hmm. every other brand. And the technology, again, they will go find the technology based on what it is the consumer needs. So one of the cool things they showed us is they are looking at a panel platform where when I look at the screen, it's just talking to me. But when you're looking at the same screen, it's just talking to you. Yet we're staring at the same screen. Hmm. And it knows who you are. Right. So it's a personalized experience. And it's, you know, so again, there's a ton of tech that goes behind that to make that happen. Actually, it's almost like it's a magic, to be honest with you. When someone <laughs> tells you about that, you're like, okay, that's magic. There's no, how does that happen? But again, you can always go find the tech. Delta is not necessarily a tech company, but they right. understand the importance of technology in order to be able to move the experience forward. That to me is what's critical in this whole scenario. So that's kind of number one. Number two, if there is something about the tech industry that, that interests you or you think would help move you in the right direction, such as AI, as an example, mm-hmm. you do all of the research and homework possible to make yourself, I wouldn't necessarily say an expert, but to make yourself savvy in that part of the business so you can talk to it you can network you can meet other people to bring the right you know qualities together in order for you to be able to move your business forward if that's what you believe yet you need um as part of your model right so um again i think it's changing so fast like 
you again with this no coding thing made me laugh i was trying to desperately make my daughter to like science and math which mm -hmm. i think she's okay at which is great mm -hmm. but more importantly if she can go out of school and create something without coding at all that's going to give herself the ability to create an app like why would you put them through that process if that's antiquated right right and it's just it's amazing how fast it's moving that you kind of have to be in the middle of it to know yeah, this is fascinating times. I, I think it's thrilling. And I think it's just going to be amazing to see what our children's lives look like. Agreed. What drives you to be successful? What is your why? I would say my number one, it's changed over the years. Um, but I would say right now, my why is provide, not only providing for my family, but being that force for my daughters to be able to have a better opportunity than I even did. And um, just by being a, a female in a very male dominated industry and, and changing the narrative on that. So if that is where they wanted to go, um, it's just that much easier for them. That is the number one thing um, for me that's important. I would say the second thing is um, I very much have come to love you know, I have this business and this business takes care of um, some families and these other families and giving them that opportunity and, and being in a, in a position to do that. Oh God, it's so rewarding. I never thought it would be as rewarding as it is. It is really cool to be able to create something that someone can be a part of. And it not only gives them passion for their career, but it allows them, you know, to be successful for their families. That's great. And that, that really answers my next question. Like, what do you enjoy most about your job? It sounds like what you provide your businesses, the opportunity for growth and fulfillment. Yes. Agreed. Uh, also, uh, the fact that I am so much a believer in mentoring and giving mm -hmm. back that way too. The fact that if I can take somebody and make them unbelievably successful too, then 100% I've, I've done my job and it just makes me so happy to watch people grow. Ah, I knew you would be perfect for this show. This is awesome. All right. A couple more questions. If you could tell your 20, 20 year old self one thing, what would it be? Breathe. <laughs> um, take, uh, and what I mean by breathe, it's, it's really that advice my dad gave me that at the time I kind of like, whatever, okay, I'll do it To I wish I had breathed a little bit more. I thought I breathed more. I wouldn't have been as freaked out about creating the family where now it's, you kind of look back and you're like, Oh my God, I can't even believe that was like such a drama time for me in my career. Right. Sometimes breathing, taking time for yourself, but more importantly, the, the self-reflection mm -hmm. and it is okay to pause. It is okay to think through what it is you're going to do. If you are motivated and your passion is correct, you will always find your true North. 100%. Totally agree. Where do you see yourself in five years? Well, um, continuing to grow uh, my businesses. I, I very much have a passion for working. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely see myself continuing to work. I probably see myself doing even more of a, you know, focuses on boards, advisory boards, you know, regular board leadership in order to move other companies forward as well. Um, and right about five years as well, when my eldest will graduate from high school and hoping that we've done a good job as parents and setting her on her, you know, really the, the start of that huge journey um, beyond, you know, living with your parents and living at home. So uh, hopefully I can still be her cheerleader right by her side and, you know, point her in the right direction, but let her go and grow. Mm, that's awesome. Last question. Do you have any good business or career books um, or podcasts that you love that you might recommend? Um, so I do here. I'm going to like scroll over here and give you some of my favorite um, books that I have saved. So I mentioned uh, now discover your strengths or mm -hmm. strengths finder is kind of, I think the new version of it. Um, absolutely love uh, that whole philosophy and what's what's there behind it and what it stands for um so that's kind of number one number two there was a couple books that i i read about you know kind of having a seat at the table and i there's quite a few different books about women and having that seat at the table and what that 
what that means and mm-hmm. how to how to take it not take advantage of it but more importantly how to leverage it for the betterment of everybody there's a couple different books out there and uh i think one of them might have even been um seat at the table um a female seat at the table is what I think it was called. Uh, I will say from a mentoring standpoint, lean in and, and reading that book originally was also pretty meaningful uh, for me. I was part of a women in consumer technology group and the lean in book actually ended up creating a major mentoring program uh, that we built um, behind it for about 50 women within the organization that once a month got to be part of a, a mentoring program because of that book. Yeah, that was a wonderful book. I read that. It was. And then um, on the podcast side, you know, how I built this is absolutely one of my favorites. Mm. It's just such good storytelling. I absolutely love it. It's good to hear other entrepreneurs who literally, you know, slugged it out and some of the things they learned and what's important to them. And, you know, maybe even incorporating some of that uh, education into your own kind of business. Um, It's probably my favorite. Uh, And then I have, uh, you know, I just say it too, as part of that balance and breathing, one of my other favorite podcasts selfishly is, Comments by Celeb, not because it has anything to do with my business at all, but it is a good break and a good hour of laughter, pop culture, um, which really kind of sometimes comes back to your business because if you understand what's going in the market and what, you know, what is driving a lot of pop culture, some of those tidbits you can actually bring back into your business for the betterment of your consumer. So as much as it's my guilty pleasure, every (laughs) once in a while, there's some great concept that they talk about that it's like, okay, minimalism is important right now. I can see that from everything that's happening on the runway and and what's going on in homes and things. Maybe I should be incorporating that into my business. So um, you can learn from everywhere, but it's definitely my guilty passion for sure. Well, thank you. This has been so great having you on the show. I enjoyed it so much. Um, Where can someone learn more about you? That's a good question. I would say LinkedIn is probably your best um, point. You know, it's just Dina Gazarian. Um, that's probably number one. Uh, number two, if you go to austere.com, www.austere.com, there's a lot of great information, not only on the brand through our press and news uh, page, but some different information, I guess, about me and some of the stuff we did to start up the business, mm-hmm. um, which I'm happy to have people learn about. And, you know, if, if you have a passion for something and want to create a business, I am here to help. Mm, <laughs> so that's awesome. um, sharing that knowledge and helping someone along is absolutely something I, I, again, as I mentioned earlier, very motivating to me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. It was great to speak with you today. Thanks for listening to the episode today. It was really fun chatting with my guest. If you liked our show, please like it and share it with your friends. If you want to learn what we're up to, please go check out our website at 2bbolder.com. That's the number two, little b, boulder.com.